The shadow shall rise across the world and darken every land, even to the smallest corner. And there shall be neither light nor safety. And he who shall be born of the dawn, born of the maiden according to prophecy, he shall stretch his hands to catch the shadow, and the world shall scream in the pain of salvation. All glory be to the Creator, and to the light, and to he who shall be born again. May the light save us from him. From Commentaries on the Koreathon Cycle. Serene Darshamel Matara, Council Sister to Kamel, High Queen of Jaramide, circa 325 AB, the 3rd age. Hi, I'm the crusty sock at the bottom of the hamper where the seeds of the shadow are spilled. Dalen. And I am one of Min's many dark predictions, Eric. And welcome to Loyal's Book Club, a podcast dedicated to dissecting and discussing Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. Yes, I am your first time reader. And I am your grizzled warder, Dalen. Again, thought I'd introduce myself twice. That's where we are right now. So, new book. We're starting from the very, very beginning. New book, yeah, new book. And uh, I actually like a little bit that, you know, it's it has one of those classic, we're not gonna jump right into the moment where we left off. We're gonna we're gonna roll it back a little bit. We're gonna, you know, they don't they don't have they don't have Twitter, they don't have texting. <laughs> Or anything, so they got to send a real person to go talk to another person to talk about what happened this last month. Oh yeah, there's a lot happening. It actually, it's it's funny that so much happens in such a short amount of time. Because by the time you're at the end of the book, I feel like I've been you know on this journey for a year or two, and then it's like, oh, this has happened between rent checks. This oh, is yeah. very fast. <laughs> it's faster than you think it would happen. Mm-hmm. But I thought I'd kick this podcast off in a very good way. We're starting The Shadow Rising, which is a very seminal uh, book, a very fan favorite. And I thought, what better way to start us off by having Eric read the opening paragraph to the book? The wheel of time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the Third Age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose on the great plain called the Carolang Grass. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. I could write a whole thesis about that uh, paragraph, not thesis, dissertation, because I feel mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the whole idea set in of like as time continues, the things that were once legend become myth, and how the Wheel of Time, the story itself, is sort of a deconstruction of a myth itself, you know? think these Edmonds Fielders lived a life thinking everything's a Gleeman's tale. We're going to kind of 
go on this adventure and go to Tarvalon and then come back to Edmonds Field kind of the same as we were. And it's almost been a year and they are not back in Edmonds Field. They are not the same people that they were. And I think they're finding that the world out there isn't a very heroic place. Yeah, yeah, it's funny that you bring that up. You're you're exactly right. The tales that are told in-universe have a very linear A to B hero tale kind of thing. And in the hero's tale we're actually reading, it is not that simple. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like it's a... Everyone in stories are either you're good or you're bad. And these kids are finding out, no, not everyone is a good, per- a holy good person. No, or no one is a holy bad person. It's this weird gray area that I think they're struggling to figure out, you know? Yeah. But a lot happens in these two chapters. Man, a lot happens. I am... I. You know, I, I try to keep my readings fresh before our recording, so I'm I'm a bit more fresh and or, organic and stuff. And I gotta say, like, I am so excited with as much perspective switching as we got through these two chapters. Uh, I am getting the impression that we're we are doing that so much more of the, you know, we're not following Rand. It's yeah. not it's not his book. It's not his series. You get all of these different perspectives, all of these different beginnings into the same tale. Oh yeah. Uh, I was really excited for that. So that that was off the bat one of the things I was most impressed with with this reading. We're starting to see the story become more developed, you know, um, because for the first book, it's very much we are getting this farm boy coming out of the farm, and then we switch, and it's just his friends, you know. But now that we've met White Cloaks and Sean Chan, and we're seeing people of different morality, and we're seeing people who have different goals versus what our protagonists want and versus what the story wants. Um, and I kind of want to dive into the first chapter, Seeds of the Shadow. Uh, the first two POV big sections um, all take place in the White Tower. I forgot how ominous men's section is like reading it i was like oh right off the back robert jordan's telling us something is wrong because men is just coming back from leaving moraine and all of them and you know she's going by elmandretta which she abhors because it, her mother named her after this swooning sort of romance novel character and men is nothing like that and um, she goes into the White Tower and she meets Phelan and she's kind of like keeping her head down and then she sees that as she's making her way to Swan Sanchez's office, all of these Aes Sedai warders are going to die. Like, and she like sees one of them is going to be taken by the Shan Chan and it's this moment of, it's so jarring because we've been presented as the White Tower as being this place of safety almost. It is the beacon of the Westlands and suddenly something is corrupt. And I think that's not helped by the fact that we now know of the existence of the Black Aja. Right. Yeah, and you know what? I'm, I'm realizing something in real time right now, Dalen, that we should totally put a spoilers disclaimer in our intro. Because, uh, just in case you have uh, stumbled upon this and have decided to start on the fourth book with the first chapter with our book club and your reading, it should go without saying, spoilers ahead. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, I, I 
think I'm going to eat some words I've said in the past previous episodes about it not being uh, dark enough, or I'm not too afraid of these, you know, of, of what's going to happen to these characters, because, I mean, Min's perspective aside and what that means for her life, because this has given me a whole new perspective on, on what she sees. I mean, I yeah. could not imagine having that type of a gift and just seeing random stuff, good and bad. I mean, I'm sure the good stuff's pretty cool, but yeah. that walk would have, like, Ooh. broken me. <laughs> Though, I would have loved if she's walking and, like, death, 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 and then suddenly she sees, like, a hand puppet, <laughs> a bottle of oil, and, like, tap shoes, and she's just like, what? <laughs> we'll, we'll dissect that later. I now we don't have time to unpack all that. No, but yeah, it's you know I, I forget a lot of the specific predictions, but you know I've I've got a bad feeling, man. Yeah. I've I've really and I've really come to like the warders in general. I think that's just such a cool uh, part of you know the the universe and and the mythology of the series, and to see them all kind of get marked like that it's got me really thinking like oh there's some s gonna go on in this book. oh yeah um and we kind of get the fact that this damage that's going to happen who knows when isn't gonna be just physical when she meets gallon outside of uh swan's office like we can see gallon is very upset and he's very angry he's like where's my sister where's Egwene? and i guess where's Nani? you know afterthought yeah she's le <laughs> legit an afterthought and it's one of those things where you know something is coming and as uh much as gallon wants to protect elaine and like you can't stop it it's like watching a storm approach and you're just kind of like oh, you can't do anything except to just see what you can do to protect yourself and i think the scariest thing is when she gets into uh, Swan's office and she meets the keeper of the Chronicles, Leanne, and she sees the screaming face of the keeper of the Chronicles. It's, I think that's one of my favorite images. I think just because you're going into it going, what the fuck is happening? Like, what is going on? Like, Swan Sanche lying naked on the floor and you know, she says, maybe I'll take a lover, but it's not enough. You're kind of like, no, this is, this isn't good. And you kind of are in men's place where you feel helpless, you know? And even with Swan going, it's not the White Cloaks. They wouldn't dare. The White Cloaks have been sent away, most of them. I would know if it was the Sean Chan. And that only leaves the Black Aja. And now we're kind of sitting up a little straighter going, we thought just the 13 were the only Black Aja. There's more. And now we don't know who to trust. Big yep from me. Yeah. I, I have nothing uh, more to add to that. It, it really does kick off in a uh, dark, you know, the, the first two books probably more so than the third one, just a little bit. I think the third one we start to see a turn, but even this first chapter kicking things off really makes it feel like we are in some dire straits oh, or... Yeah. We are in for some pretty bad weather. And it does not help that, you know, Min's POV ends on sort of a light note where Swan's like, you have to stay here as Almandretta, and the whole thing is you accepted two men's proposals, and now you need to hang out here until you can decide which one. 
it's like, <laughs> that's not funny, because then we skip over to Elida, and you already said you don't trust Elida. No, no. <laughs> and I don't think this helps, because even though we know Elida has good intentions, we learned that she had a foretelling that the royal line of Andor would be key in defeating the Dark One in the last battle, and that she saw Rand causing chaos in Andor, and she's like, I just want to help Elaine. I don't think that's all she wants. No, I definitely think, you know, one of the themes of this book is that, you know, good and evil might exist, but deeper in that just kind of lines up with what people selfishly want. And sometimes it's for good, sometimes it's for bad, but it's always, almost always for more. They, you know, all of these characters just can't stop at a certain point. Yeah. They always have that one extra thing they want to do, and even if it's for a good reason, it's it's like a chaotic chessboard at this point. Oh, yeah, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Exactly. And I think Elida seems like someone who had a taste of power by making her way up in the royal court of Camelin and becoming Morghese's advisor. She kind of is on a way where she can't stop, it feels like. And um, it doesn't help that she is speaking with a woman named Alviarin, who Mm -hmm. is a white Aja, and she says the blue Aja and the white Aja are always teaming up. Mm -hmm. And it does not help that it's like, well, what does it mean when a red Aja and a white Aja team up? What is that? Is that bad? Is that good? And it also doesn't help that as her POV fades out, Elida says, Swan Sanchez should never have been Omerlin in the first place. And so it's like, you can't cut away from that. Wait, wait, wait. You know? No, we've, we've got a lot of pieces in this Jenga tower, and it's about to fall. Oh, God. Robert Jordan set up a Jenga tower, and we are the dr- drunk bachelorettes just waiting <laughs> to pull the right brick out, you know? Um, and then we... It's funny that we uh, then switch over to the White Cloaks, to Dane Bornhold... And, again, this creeping sense of what is happening, because they're in Terran Ferry, which is close to the two rivers, and we once again get Ordieth, who is the creepy little man that met with Pedra Nile in the prologue of the Dragon Reborn. That's right. And the Tinkers are back. Yeah, it was good to see them. Uh, I'm scared, because I love them, but it was good to see them again. And it doesn't help that it's very much implied that uh, Ordeath tortured and killed three Tinkers, because Dane comes over and is like, so what happened to the three Tinkers you were talking to? And Ordeath's like, well, maybe they ran away. It's like, oh, they didn't run away, you little bastard. <laughs> they, maybe the little Tinkers went to go live on a farm up north. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. So, you know, and Ordeath was the one who suggested in the first place the two rivers is a nest of dark friends, and now they're there, but we also learned Dane Bornhold wants to get Paradibara. Right, yeah, and you know, I, I, I get the feeling he uh, hadn't been seeing visions of his old master for a totally random reason, so I'm completely, uh, I don't know what to call it, terrified, not looking forward to However, that unfolds because, again, we have another chess piece on a very chaotic board who, you know, they might think they're doing the right thing, but to us, the audience, it is 
absolutely happening to the people we love, and I'm I'm not excited to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, even Dane Bornholt says like, don't kill anyone unless they attack first. You want to instill fear. You want to spread the light. So it's like not a message I fully believe in, but you can kind of go. He is coming in with good intentions, but my fucking God, man, go away. Well, it is like, and you know, this is probably a more general theme about power in general, but that that order that is just dripping in willful ignorance because you can't you can't sick the dogs, yeah, and tell them just to have a little nibble. I mean, the white cloaks are slipping more and more down the rung of what I believe to be the light in the dark. They are yeah. definitely backsliding pretty far. They because they're I feel like just blinded by ignorance, I think. They so are stuck to the belief that Aes Sedai are evil and dark friends must be eradicated, and yeah. But again, it's this, you have to understand the world isn't as simple as those who walk in the light and dark friends. Right, blinded They're, by their fanaticism. Exactly, mm-hmm. and it's a little just, I think it's scary because they are close to the two rivers, which is almost like a home to us and home to the people that we, the characters that we've grown to love, and so knowing that this group, and especially Ordeath, is who already is just such a creepy person, it's like, we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know, and I mean, when you look at the map of the Westlands, the Evansfield is here, Tyr is all the way down there, like... Yeah, if something pop off, it's... uh... There's no texting, there's no Twitter, there's yeah. definitely no Uber. Not yet. <laughs> no, uh, and you know what, it's, it's, such a, it's such a brilliant literature device for sure, but it is one that I'm sure is probably going to happen, it's probably going to be beautifully written, and it's probably going to hurt my heart a whole lot. Yeah, maybe. We'll just have to read and find out about that, won't we? Yeah, yeah as we do. So, chapter one ends with uh, Lady, the High Lady Suroth who is right. a Sean Chan woman. And I think, believe this might be... No, we got High Lord Turox. Uh, he was in The Great Hunt. He was kind of uh, leading the expedition for the Sean Chan in Falm. So this is, I believe, the second time we're getting a Sean Chan POV in the series. And so, again, I forgot how freaky the Sean Chan are and just how... You know, again, we've seen firsthand the damage that they do with what they did to Egwene. And so, knowing that, just in this imagery of how High Lady Suroth views her servants as she doesn't even pay attention, they could be dirt at the bottom of her feet. They don't matter. And God, I love that trope. I love, I love the trope of they're just a lowly servant, but who hears all of the gossip and all of the... All of the conversation that, you know. Yeah. And it wouldn't be a new book without a correction from Zul. So we did meet High Lady Suroth in The Great Hunt when Leandrin, Egwene, Min, Nynaeve, and Elaine come out of the ways. That's who uh, they're uh, handed over to. So yes, yeah. yes, yes. Thank you very much, Zul. <laughs> uh Wow, yeah, and you know, I thought that we had met them, we had done their thing, and I was perfectly ready to be satisfied with, you know, that showdown that I predicted with Egwene and and this group, but 
you know, I get a feeling. I get a feeling that they're not done yet. I yeah. got a feeling that it was only a preview and not the entirety of what's to come. Oh, no. The nails are still clicking. Yes. Hi, Lady Suroff. We now... She's like, I'm going to go back because I now have to deal with the Rand. And so I think that makes it even more horrifying because now there's an extra stake in the game. Mm-hmm. She knows about Rand. She knows not directly Rand Thor, but she knows there is a man who can channel, who calls himself the Dragon Reborn. And we're right. like, oh, shit. We are closing in on the prophecies. We are closing in on the players making their power plays. Yeah. And once again, it is yet another piece on this very chaotic chessboard. We have, like... You know, if Rand, Perrin, and Matt are kind of at the center of this weave because they are Tavarin, yeah, we are really starting to see the multiple factions that are being pulled into the whirlpool. Oh yeah, that is their destiny, and I, I do think it is probably some of the slickest, well-paced uh, uh, connections into that. There's not a whole lot of. Things happen because they need to happen. Right. And I'm so grateful because one of my favorite things is poking holes in the plot of, well, why didn't you just do this? Yeah. Why didn't you just do that? And we are seeing exactly kind of the setup, not only the setup of the factions, but the motivations of each faction. Yeah. So you've got one person just following orders who will probably blindly follow orders and blindly give orders. You've mm-hmm. got a person who's got a personal mission who believes it's, you know, their destiny to stop what's happening here and yeah. just the, 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 the threads crossing each other and knowing that each cross point is going to be some type of conflict makes me feel like at the end of this book there are going to be some new power dynamics. Yeah. It's no, it, it's like you said, I think coincidence is so easy to do poorly. Like I feel like it's, it would be so easy for them to go, oh, we're the Sean Channer back because we need conflict. I think the fact that everything has its consequence, you know, the, like you think they're safe because, oh, the Shan Shan left at the end of the Great Hunt. We're good. They're still there. You know, they didn't get all of them. There's still an entire nation. Mm-hmm. You think the White Cloaks are done because Geofram Bornhold is dead. We haven't even touched that, you know. There's so much, there's... So much, I think, coming that, again, it feels like, I think, to put the metaphor better, um, you're standing on the beach and you see a wave starting to form. So, and all you can do is kind of stare as you knew this wave was coming, but you didn't, you don't know how hard it's going to hit. So with um, the Black Aja, the Shan Chan, and the White Cloaks, do you think we'll see something based off of this one chapter? Do you think we'll see more of a threat of all three in throughout this book? Or do you think it's kind of like Robert Jordan's going, here's this, keep that in your back pocket, we'll save it for later? You know, I... Mm, that's a great question. I am basing my answer off of how long this series is. Because I do have that knowledge. I may not know what happens in them, but I do know how long this is. I know how much time we have yeah. with these characters. I also know that we're probably going to see a a great evolution and metamorphosis of all the people we know. That being said, I think one of these groups will be one of the main conflict players in this book. Okay. However, I think the other two, whatever two they may be, are going to be in the background kind of doing their thing and kind of interlaced. And again, I think we're going to see a shifting power dynamic. Okay. 
Personally, if I was to put money on it, I think we're going to see more of the white cloaks this book. I just think we've, we've run into them, you know, parents have made his kind of, uh, you know, his uh, rivalry with them sort yeah. of known, and I think we're going to capitalize on that. Because I think it's, they're bringing in these factions, but I feel like book three was more like, this is about the Black Aja. Exactly. Kind book of two the... was about the Sean Chan. Mm -hmm. We've yet to, re we got a little bit of the White Cloaks in book one. But I feel like this is White Cloaks 2, Electric Boogaloo. You yeah, know? they're going to be boogalooing all over the Bo two rivers, I think. Oof, boogalooing so hard they have to shut the disco down. <laughs> um, but speaking of, let's, I think this is uh, a good moment to jump to Chapter 2, Whirlpools of the Pattern, where we get to get back with our boys. And I just want them to play nice. I just want them to to be friends, and they, they refuse to just be friends. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of complications there. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I can I can give them a bit of grace. They are, they are not the same boys that they were. No. Well, we see it with Perrin, I think. So we start off with your boy Perrin. And, My boy uh, Perrin. And Perrin and Fael. It's been two weeks since the end of the Dragon Reborn. And they're married. It's crazy. They're not married yet. No, I, I read this chapter as if they were. No, they're just... They have a very interesting dynamic so mm -hmm. far. Mm -hmm. um, they're married, but they hide their wedding rings when they're out in public. Probably. And try to, like... Swingers. Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, they're not married, but I want them to be. I, I, I will put it out there before we totally jump in. I love this couple. Uh, it's got my it's got my blessing for Perrin all over it. Is, I'm so happy. You hear that, Robert? Perrin and Fael can get married because they got Eric's blessing. <laughs> no, I find Fael to be a very interesting character because I think she's very direct and kind of doesn't bullshit. I think mm -hmm. you know she. I think it's a lot of. The difference between Andorran women and Fayul is Saldean, mm -hmm. there's a lot more of do not treat me like a child. Right. And we see this when, um, and I think there's a little bit more of be honest with me, just talk to me like we are adults, even though she's 17. Right. And we see it when uh, Perrin and Fayul are essentially talking about should we leave? There's really nothing for us here in Tyr. Rand is the Dragon Reborn. It's, he's, He's got his own thing. We're kind of free to go. But Perrin is more of, I want to stay, I am Tavirin. And Fael just kind of doesn't get that. I think there's a moment where Rand, where Perrin goes, Rand's my friend. And she goes, like, cute, he's not my friend. Let's go. <laughs> no, she she does have that girlfriend energy where it's like, ah, do, do we have to go out? It's it's. I don't like, I know you're best friends with him, but I don't. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's funny because I think Perrin knows this in his heart. You know, I think he understands kind of the path he is on. And as far as Fayil goes, I, you know, I'm making a prediction here. I think she's going to have one of those moments. I think there is going to be something that pulls her in in such a way that it is it is no longer an option to want to leave. Yeah. So I don't know what that is, but we got some type of Fayil event. Kinda. All right. So I kind of want to break this up into pre-cock crowing. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Because, so, uh, Perrin and Fayol are having the discussion. We once again get Perrin's reflection on the hammer and the axe. Mm -hmm. You know, we get that idea of Perrin has done things with the axe that he does not like, but he's done things with the hammer that he truly loves. And we know in his heart he wants to be a blacksmith. Right. He just wants to go home. 
and then the cock crows. But we're going to skip and we're going to go over to Matt. Matt is in his natural habitat. If this were uh, <laughs> David Attenborough, we'd go, and we, and we see in the taverns, we see Matrim Cothin playing dice. So I switched from French to English, but you know what? Y'all will love that. That was amazing. I don't, Thank I don't you. know. I, I thought it was incredible. I watched My Fair Lady. <laughs> <laughs> the son of a bitch did it. He did a, he, you, you, I told him he couldn't do it, and he slipped it in there. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but we see Matt, he's playing at dice, which is, or not, he's playing at cards, which is not right. his favorite game. Right. And we kind of get to know the younger lords of tear and they are legit the frat boy like just <laughs> asshole like oh slimy sort of dudes like and we kind of learned through matt that rand is kind of changing it up the dynamic like now the citizens are going to have rights in tear and one of the lords goes so if i rape a farmer's daughter i'm gonna get in trouble and matt like goes yeah that's what consequences are. And the guy's just like, Ugh. and we're like, buddy. It is, it is definitely a, a pretty sharp contrast, and uh, it definitely caught me by surprise as well. But I do think, you know, n not even in the, the storytelling itself or the plot itself, I think just the way of the writing in the series is so well done because we get such a nice coloring here of like these young lordlings, where they're yeah. from, and kind of how they interact with their environment. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, and again, we're talking about, you know, I think one of my predictions is there's going to be a bit of a power dynamic shift in this book. Yeah. This is exactly what we're talking about. You know, the dragon coming back means a lot for a lot of people. And I think we're going to see that shift, you know, not even in a grand prophetic sense, but just on a very human level. Yeah. Because it's one thing to be like, the Dragon Reborn will come and he'll take the stone tear. It's cute in theory, but when you hear it, when you go, oh, there's the Dragon Banner that hasn't been seen in 3,000 years waving, oh my god, so it's happening. I think it's a lot to take in, and the narration kind of says it where, uh, you know, by day the people of Tyr are like, yay, new leader, but at night they're like, they're like shaking. That's because right. This is a leader of prophecy. Mm -hmm. And so then we also hear that Rand is planning on going to war with Ilian. That was, that, I, I was shocked yeah. when I heard that. Just so you know, I thought Rand was still kind of figuring his stuff out, kind of, you know, just figuring it out. And to hear just such a, like, decisive plan, I don't, I don't know if it's him 100%. Yeah. I hope to goodness it's not because I really started out liking Rand and now I've got a feeling, I've got a bad feeling. Yeah. I've got a bad feeling about Rand. I'm so going to put it out there do now. Do you think like his decision to go to war is not his decision? I think it's one of those things where he thinks it's his decision, but who do we have in the background playing the strings? Probably more Rain. Yeah. That's my guess. All right. And so... Uh, we also get a little bit of Matt's uh, little pasties. He played Maiden's Kiss with some of the Aiel women. Uh, and, you know, we all want to play Maiden's Kiss. Maybe, actually, no, I'd rather play uh, May Man Kiss. Is that, yeah, what, what is that? I think it's a... 
Um, well, so if, that's from, if, if maiden from maid is that is that a is that a butler? Is that a male? Maid. Does that work? But butlin, but butlin, butler, butles kiss, butles uh, kiss, butles kiss. You know, we'll figure this out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll table it. Um, so yeah, Matt has played uh, Maiden's Kiss, and I like that Robert Jordan kind of lets us know that Matt is uh, good with his tongue because apparently he played it all night with <laughs> the Maidens. And do you know what? I'm saying it here. Maiden's Kiss is not only for the Aiel women. There could be some men there. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't see why. You know, the the title of the game has to be the description of the players playing it. Yeah. I, you know, I agree. Yeah, Rafe Judkins, do you hear me? Do you hear that? Oh, we got we got a we got a shout out. Yeah, make Matt bisexual or pan in the show. It makes <laughs> sense for him. But. We also get, like, the Aiel are a real touchy subject for the Tear Lords because, again, the Aiel war was only 20 years prior and that caused a lot of shit to go mm-hmm. down. Um, but then the cock crows, but we're going to shift over to Rand in his ha- natural habitat, waking up from a nightmare. <laughs> the poor guy can... I know I've got my doubts about him now, and I'm actually, like, thinking some bad stuff is going to happen, but I, I do still feel sorry for this man. I mean, cannot catch a break. He cannot catch a break, and this poor dude... When I read his section, I thought of an earlier episode where we were talking about Rand, and you were just like, can't he just get a break? And I was like, <laughs> oh, buddy, we're only in Chapter 2 of Book 4 of a 14-book series. Rand gets no break. <laughs> you lose, sir. Hooah! <laughs> poor Rand. Poor Rand. And even more so, poor Barrelane. Because she got ready. She shaved her legs. She, like, wore her good bra. She didn't wear her target bra. She wore the good bra. And then she decided, no, 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 no. Let the girls hang. Let the girls hang. So Rand wakes up, and there's Barrelane. And, you know... When I first read the series, I thought of the phrase "barreling breasts boobily, because really all she does is just kind of titter around. But rereading this, she's actually pretty smart, because what we get from a little bit of book three in this, um, she leads a small uh, country, Mayenne, in the southeast, and she's kind of been held captive in all but name to the Tear Lords. And she kind of saw, oh, this is the Dragon Reborn. Let me kind of worm my way up so I can get the power back. It feels very much a, let me hook up with Rand and maybe marry him, and then I can just book it back to Mayen and kind of go and secure my home. Exactly. I have no idea what type of player she is going to uh, be, but again, with that theme of a very chaotic chessboard, we have yet another player doing yet another very personalized thing that just crosses all these threads. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm ready for what is ever is about to happen. Oh, yeah. So she's flirting with Rand. Rand is halfway going, no. And, but also he's kind of like, this hot chick's like shaking her boobs at him, and he's kind of like, mm. I mean, Rand, you've been through so much. You, you, you deserve it, okay? Just... Just go for it. It's okay. Just do it. You have my blessing. But, unfortunately for him, another type of cock crows. Right. So, let's uh, circle back. So, Perrin's 
The cock crows and Fayil goes, my nurse used to say this means a death is coming. And essentially, it almost does, because Perrin's axe comes to life. Very Final Destination-esque. <laughs> yeah, very, like, so Fayil and uh, Perrin are struggling with the axe, and Perrin does the uh, hero, does this hero bit and shoves Fayil out of the room while Fayil's like, no, no, let me help you, I can do this. And he manages to get the door shut. Right. And he slams the axe into the door. And when he opens it again, Fayil's face is like only an inch away from the blade. Mm -hmm. And it's a great moment because she goes, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. Okay, good. And she full body slaps him across the face and goes like, you fucking idiot. You could have gotten killed. I feel like their relationship is very Mr. and Mrs. Smith in a, in, in a, in, in not quite a, uh, it's got a facet of that where I think this is going to be a team up for a long time. Yeah. And I think a lot of like, cause I had mixed reactions about that initial slap, but I think it is a thing of Fayil doesn't want to be treated like she's some delicate little thing. Cause she's kind of proven she's not. She. Mm-hmm left her home to be a hunter of the horn. She's fully taking care of herself. And I think she's trying to get this across to Perrin, but Perrin has this, no, 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 I must protect you. And it's like, she's trying to like, get it through his ox head. No, I can help myself. Well, she is very capable. I mean, we've seen her willingness to fight. I do not doubt she's got some serious skills. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I... I personally don't think she's in the wrong. Oh, no. Um, And I do think the slap is a little, like, you could have died, and Mm -hmm. what would have come of that? Like, you you protecting me just so you could get yourself killed is... Again, she calls parents, like, need for duty his hairy-chested drivel, (laughs) because she's like, you... Like, we're in this together, you know? You can't just shut me up because you think... I'm not going to like it or I'm going to get hurt, you know? Yeah, I think I think Perrin in this book, he's not going to learn how to be a good man. He's going to learn how to be a good partner. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, and I feel like it's very fitting that his whole struggle is with the axe because, again, for a couple books, we've seen him struggle with this dual life he's sort of li- living now, this, like kind-hearted blacksmith, but also someone who's so close to losing control of himself with violence. And I think whatever this was is kind of it manifesting Mm -hmm. itself in the axe trying to kill him and fight you. Yeah, quite literally, you know, we have something supernatural happening. But I think on a thematic level, we've got this image of even if he is defending, that piece of him is always going to be after him, in a a sense. He can't run from it. Exactly. And I think maybe this is the book where he'll maybe learn to confront that side and kind of go, who am I after this, you know? I would love that. I just, I I want him to be, if he's not going to be, if, listen, if Robert Jordan isn't going to let the boys be friends, let Perrin be friends with the wolves. I want him back with the wolves. Okay. <laughs> he is going to lead the pack. Oh, Perrin with all the puppies. <laughs> Perrin's pups. Perrin's pups. Oh, what a great group name. Get ready for our merch, guys. <laughs> 
And then we shift to Matt, whose Matt's is a little more... Parents is cool, Rand's is really cool. Matt's is really weird mm-hmm. because... I got, a, I got a bit of an Army of Darkness vibe from this one. Yeah, because like it's all happening in slow motion. Right. The playing cards come to life. Mm-hmm. And it's a... Um, it's the Armorland Seat card. It's the Tyran Lord. And they all try to kill Matt. He throws his uh, knives and they pin to the wall. And, and it all like goes back to normal. And everyone's just like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. And I think this was... Matt kind of wanting to be out of the whole situation with Rand and Taviran and all that and kind of seeing he has no choice. It's like fitting with the Omerlin seat and Aes Sedai with Moray mm-hmm. and the Tyran Lord. It's like he's kind of like these two sort of part like threads are coming for him and he kind of can't stop it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think he's losing some control of his life where he's worried his luck will run out because there are cards coming to life. He's not good with cards. He's better with dice. Right. You know? Yeah, I kind of read into this, you know, and this might be something, might totally not be. It's a very soft prediction, but there was something about him using the knives, you know, pinning them to the wall that made me feel like maybe he's going to take a seat of power himself sometime in the future. Mm You know, we've got these boys, they're kind of in their lowly stations. We do have them kind of coming up and, you know, taking on their destiny and stuff. But, you know, towards the end of the series, I really do think Matt is going to be in some type of high lordship status, something like that. Interesting. Interesting. And so we uh, go to Rand, and I think Rand's is the most horrifying because he's talking to Barrelane and... You know, she gives herself a little jiggle, and then she just screams. And Rand is attacked by his reflections that come out of the mirror. And it's not just one. It is multiple. And he just gets bloodied and bruised. And, like, he manages to get Barelaine out of the way. But she is just, like, I just cannot imagine, like, it's like going to a grinder hookup at like 3 a.m. and then suddenly he's fighting his reflections and <laughs> you're certain he did not take anything, but you're just watching this. And then at the end of it, like this like blood everywhere and he's just like, hey, like, <laughs> I want to go home. Thank you. Yeah, we've, we've got, it's, it's interesting because we've got our three boys that are being attacked by what I believe are facets of themselves. You know, we've yeah. got... Matt's bad luck with, you know, because exactly you're right, he's a dice man, not a card man. You know, he's getting attacked by these things that he's unlucky with. And he's always been unlucky with people in seats of power, of authority. He's always kind of, you know, had friction with that. Baron's getting attacked by an axe, quite literally the side that he's fighting against. And Rand, I feel like he's in this weird position where he sees all the different versions of himself that he could be. Yeah. uh, In a way, because I believe in this chapter, they like, there's a bit of a description of like, him feeling like these reflections were taken away, like his inner essence. Yeah, so they start. They begin to absorb part of his life force, and it's his biggest fear of losing himself to something mm-hmm. out of his control. And you can kind of see it with he's trying to go. I am not mad. I mm-hmm. am not insane. Like he's trying to keep himself. Yeah. And I think that's really a tragic part. And I think. Something that kind of got me reading it, and you just, 
what Robert Jordan does is remind you of who these people once were mm -hmm. and how young they are. And I think his twist of a chosen one sort of character really is done well. And I think it's done especially well in the final paragraph of this chapter where, rank, where it says, Limping to the foot of the bed, he lowered himself into the chest there and laid Kalendor across his knees, bloody hands resting on the glowing blade. With that in his hands, even one of the forsaken would fear him. In a moment, he would send for Moraine to heal his wounds. In a moment, he would speak to the Aiel outside and become the dragon reborn again. But for now, he only wanted to sit and remember a shepherd named Randall Thor. It's so sad because, you know, we're starting to see people not see Randall Thor. You know, Fael is, it's the dragon reborn, and Perrin Constance his name is Rand. Matt is starting to go, well, who is he? He's the dragon reborn. Berlain only sees him as a title. Lords of Tear only see him as the dragon reborn. When he's left alone with just Randall Thor, what is left, you know? Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, when you think about the good old days and, like, your childhood, when it's like, yeah. man, I didn't have to worry about any of the stuff I worry about today. And, I, I yeah, I, I, really, I really feel for him in that way because, you know, even if you boil it down from this grand adventurous journey or something i think we've all felt like that where it's yeah. where it is like you come so far and then you kind of think about who you used to be and where you came from and you you always miss it a little bit yeah and i think you know when you think of wheel of time and you also think of lord of the rings um tolkien and jordan both went to war and tolkien went to war in World War One, and you kind of see that in uh, The Hobbits. Mm -hmm. You see this sort of like small bucolic town, and they left thinking, oh, it's an adventure. You yeah. Know, Mary and Pippin, they thought, this is going to be fun, you know? And I think you saw that in with World War One. I. I think a lot of people were like, oh, we'll be home by Christmas. It's cool. Not knowing the damage that it does. Right. You know? And you see it with um, the Vietnam War with Robert Jordan, you know? I don't know enough about the culture of if it was very much serve your country, do it, but it feels with the Evans Fielders that they kind of had no choice right. but to leave. And you see how this affects them and changes them. And, you know, I think with the chosen one with Rand, it could be so easy that he keeps this happy go lucky and we kind of see him like, no, I'm still Rand. You know, just remember who you were. And I think seeing him just kind of go, I don't know who I am anymore. I just yeah. don't remember who I once was. And we see this trauma setting in, and I think he kind of knows, I can't, you know? Mm -hmm. No, the, the weight of his destiny is definitely getting heavier. And heavier and heavier. And not quite as fun as I thought it was going to oh, be. Yeah. This is just not a person I envy. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's a lot for our poor little Randy boy. But I think this is a good place to end. And next week, when we cover chapters three to six, we'll see if our Wonder Girls, Nynaeve, Egwene, and Elaine, how are they doing? Were they affected by this strange little cock crowing? Or were they just kind of like, what was that? You know? <laughs> yeah, my, my guess is they're going to have a set of totally separate individualized problem. Because... Yeah. I don't, I, 
like I said, I feel very bad that I've said in past episodes that I don't feel like it's going to get worse for them or, or anything to that degree because the first couple of chapters kicking off really makes it seem like it's about to go down. It, it, yeah, it's, it's real rough. And just how rough will it be? Find out next week. So we want to thank you all for tuning in with us. Thank you for being patient with all our technical difficulties. Um, if you are listening to us live, we, re- we record live on our Discord every single Friday. If you are not listening to us live and want to join in on the fun, we have a Discord link in our bio. Um, Eric, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at VivaLadanes. You know I'm going to spell it. V-I-V-A-L-A-D-A-I-N-S. And you can find me on Instagram, Dalen M. Tone, or on Twitter, the only gay in the two rivers. We also have an official Twitter and Instagram account for this podcast uh, on Instagram at Loyal's Book Club and on Twitter at Loyal underscore S. Uh, Once again, we want to thank you all and we'll see you next week as we cover chapters three to six of The Shadow Rising.